Dr. Mendez, there are so many things that are changing in our world. When we look at kids and the things that they are exposed to, because long time ago, somebody created the internet, made no rules and went, here you go, figure it out. What sorts of things are you finding right now that maybe alarm you more than others as to what kids are experiencing when they are going online? That's a great question. And I love how you phrased it. It's like a wild west, right? So there's just so much going on that I think so many people really don't understand. And even as researchers, I think we still don't have a full picture of what's happening. Um, I recently moved to Canada from the UK, where I conducted really similar research with 13 to 18 year olds. And we were surprised at the things like the amount of requests for nude images, getting sent intimate images, like uh, intimate images that people didn't want. We may think of it as like the dick pic. Um, catfishing. So this is boys who are kind of getting tricked into relationships, sending intimate images of themselves and then getting extorted. But it also includes things like body shaming, homophobia, racism, misogyny, harassment, kind of all the typical things. Or, or I think there are some things that are surprising and th- some things that aren't surprising. But we're also seeing a new landscape of things like deep fakes. We have this new AI technology that's really able to kind of change uh, the way that sexual harassment, for example, is happening. And it's happening at such a fast pace that, yeah, we just don't have our heads wrapped around uh what's going on, how to regulate it, how to prepare and equip young people for it, and how to support them when they experience it. There are a lot of things that kids have to learn growing up, but one of the words you just used probably doesn't really come up in day-to-day thought, but it sounds like it's there. Extortion. So let's talk about extortion. The last thing you would think of is, oh, I better sit down with my 13-year-old and have the extortion talk. Is that something that is very real? Maybe something we should be doing? Yeah, it is. So uh, research that I did in the UK found that this is a growing problem for, for especially for boys, particularly for boys. Um or with boys, it happens with its catfishing. So they think that they're talking to a, a girl who's their age. They start to exchange flirty messages. She sends uh, an intimate image or this person sends an intimate image. The boy thinks that it's from a girl their age. He sends one back. And then that begins the process of sextortion. For girls, it's slightly um, different. So girls will often, uh, perhaps they actually know who they're talking to. And in that case, it's really a process of grooming. So they, they're talking to someone that they think cares about them. They send intimate images willingly, uh, but then there's lots of threats if they don't continue to keep sending these intimate images as well. So often with the boys, they want money from girls. They want them to continue sending intimate images. So the outcomes are slightly different. We're talking with London cyberbullying expert, Dr. Caitlin Mendez. And Dr. Mendez is going to be presenting her research at next week's Congress of the Humanities and Social Sciences at York University. And this, again, is research that exists that we may not take the time to think of. If you've got a child or a grandchild, you think, oh, yeah, yeah they, they just, ah, they're just kids being kids. This doesn't sound like kids being kids. Is is this sort of thing extortion for money or is it extortion that can go in other directions? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it really just depends on the circumstances. So we're definitely seeing with boys that it is often for money, but for girls, it's they want them to continue sending intimate images. So it's about, um, yeah, really just exploitation and recognizing that you have a vulnerable person. And we also have to remember, especially if we're talking about intimate images, let's think of the messages that young people are told. They're told only an idiot would send a nude or an intimate image. And once your image is out there, you know, that's your life over. So what we see happening is that when this is happening with young people, they are sending intimate images and then they realize I'm in trouble. They're not telling anybody because they're so worried that they're going to get blamed, that they're going to get in trouble because of the messaging. So I think that's a key piece of it is we need to recognize that intimacies are increasingly happening online that probably at some point someone is at least going to ask your child for an intimate image or they may want to send an intimate image, right? Maybe it's in the context of a consensual, healthy relationship. But these are conversations we need to be having. And we need to let young people know that if you do send an intimate image and something goes wrong, here are places you can go to for support. Because what we're seeing is the kids who are not going anywhere for support, they're trying to deal with it on their own. They're suffering anxiety depression. And we've seen a really few unfortunate cases of self-harm, of, of suicide. And we can even remember the case of Amanda Todd, Retea Parsons, you know, and even more recently over the summer, there were some boys who again died by suicide after they experienced this. And it's really alarming to me that, wow, if we change the kinds of conversations that we're having, maybe we could have prevented, um, we could have prevented that harm or prevented those deaths. And that's something that you were trying to do, change those conversations. So what changes do we make so that a child is not feeling, as you just explained, so isolated or that they've done something wrong, they can't tell anybody? How do we change it so that they don't have those feelings because they seem pretty natural? Yeah, I think that there's not just one solution. I think that we need to have lots of different conversations in lots of different places. So parents, if you're listening, this is something that you can have conversations with your children about. Hey, have you ever heard of this? Do you know anyone who this has happened to? What do you think you might do if you were in this situation? Who do you think you would tell? Why or why not? What kind of support would you want? So those are easy conversations parents can have. It's the same thing with schools. And one of the things we found with with the study that we're doing here in Canada is we spent the past year reviewing the uh, curriculum, the uh, policies, kind of supporting documents in schools. And these topics are just not even being covered at all. So these are really important conversations that we need to be having. And curriculum is often reviewed, say, every 10 years. Let's think of all the changes that have happened in the past 10 years. So I think that definitely reviewing curriculum is really important, creating more of these supportive documents, equipping teachers to be able to have these conversations. That's not easy to do. Uh, And just more society, like, thank you for inviting me to this radio program to actually raise these issues and talk about them uh, more broadly as a society. I think those are just a few examples of things we can do. We're talking with Dr. Caitlin Mendez, who is a cyberbullying expert here in London and is going to be presenting some of the research that Dr. Mendez has been outlining for us at next week's Congress of the Humanities and Social Sciences at York University, which brings together all kinds of great minds, all kinds of conversations. And then hopefully we start going in different directions. Yeah, this is a tough one because if you're not getting that support at home and some kids aren't, how is how is a teacher supposed to help with this? They've got an awful lot 
on their plate as well. Is this something that we need almost a societal movement around? 100%. I think absolutely. I think we really need to kind of take a moment to pause and think about the role that digital technologies are playing in our lives. This isn't about saying banning it, taking it away. It's just saying, hang on a minute, we need to think very carefully about the role that it plays. There is absolutely a role in terms of regulation, regulating these companies, holding them accountable for the kind of content, for the kinds of behaviors and practices that are happening online. That really doesn't happen. Um, there can be pieces about laws, and we can see some countries are bringing in laws around cyber flashing. So that is sending intimate images of yourself without you know, if I send you an intimate image of myself without your consent in places like Scotland, that's actually been brought in as a criminal offense. Canada, we are seeing some movement. So British Columbia is the latest province to bring in legislation around the non-consensual sharing of intimate images. Um, so if I send an intimate image uh, to someone with my consent and then it gets shared without my consent, it's sometimes referred to as revenge porn. But another key way we can think about that is image-based sexual abuse. So we are seeing new laws in certain provinces that are trying to tackle these issues. And I think that's a really great step. We need to keep doing that. But absolutely, this, this needs to be across society. We really need to be thinking about the role of technology, um, how is it regulated? How are we talking about it? And how we can empower people to use it in a safe, healthy, fun environment. Dr. Mendez, when it comes to regulations, you've mentioned a lot of places that are a long way away from here. Are you hearing anything in Canada, in Ontario, that's heading toward this? Ontario doesn't, for example, have legislation on non-consensual sharing of intimate images, although there are legal precedents that have sometimes been used. There are, there's, there's a whole group of scholars. In fact, many of the colleagues on my project have been pushing for legal change, educational change. So there are voices out there that are pushing for this, but definitely there's more that can still be done. Uh, and again, it's going to take more than the five of us on our project uh, to get things through. We really need to kind of get members of the public right to your local, uh, you know, politicians. And, uh, elected representatives and, you know, ask them, what are they doing about this? A few years ago, Canada uh, was thinking of bringing in a digital charter that would have potentially kind of laid out some more uh, formal ways of dealing with some of these things, but that has been dropped. You know, that's something we can say, actually, we need to really be bringing in, uh, you know, these kinds of pieces of legislative framework to help us address what's going on. Dr. Mendez, thank you for your work on this because you're taking something invisible and you're making it visible. So we really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me.